even in spite of the morning we just had. We have so much to be grateful for in spite of the issues, the tribulations, the stress, the chaos and the confusion that we may find our, ourselves in at this moment right now, but yet and still, God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our affections. He is worthy of our attention. Just pause for a moment and let the words of praise actually flow off your tongue and pass your lips. Just pause for a moment and reflect back upon this week, reflect back upon your, your life, and just begin to name the things you're thankful for. God, thank you for life, health, and strength. God, thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my job. Thank you for gas in my car. Thank you for how you've kept my family. Father, thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you that I got an education. Thank you that I, I had a father. Thank you for being my great father. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you for being worthy. Thank you that I have strengthened my body, that I'm in my right mind, and I have a decent amount of health. Lord, thank you for, for taking care of me. Thank you that the light bill's paid. Thank you that the cable's paid. Thank you that my rent's been paid. Lord, but just begin to confess your thank yous right now. Let, let the gratitude flow over your lips. Just pause. How often do we, how often do we just say thank you, Lord? Our natural tendencies are, our natural proclivities is to, is to go before God and say, God, I need. God, I need. God, can you fix? God, can you do? But the disconnect is, after we've asked, and after he's answered, do we go back to say, thank you for answering my prayer? Thank you for taking care of that situation. Thank you for doing the impossible. When nobody else saw me, when nobody else knew, when nobody else could help, when nobody else could step in, when nobody else could show up. But, but you did, God. So thank you. We are grateful indeed for what the Lord has done. Let us go before our Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, not to us, oh God, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, not to us do we give glory to ourselves, but Father, we pause to give glory to you. Father, we give you glory because you are the creator and sustainer of all things. Your word declares that everything is from you, through you, and to you. That worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. For by your hand all things were created that exist. Father, it's because of you we are here. It's because of you we have breath in our lungs. It's because of you 
we were able to walk into the house of worship one more time. For this day was not promised. This opportunity does not belong to us, but it belongs to you. So, Father, truly, as we have entered into your house of worship, Lord, that is, there is a lot going on in our lives. There is a lot that is distracting us this morning. There is a lot inhibiting our praise right now. And, Father, whatever distractions, whatever things that are going on in our life right now, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would crush them, that you would remove them, that we would uh, cast our cares upon you because you are faithful Father, forgive us for our sins, those things which hinder our praise, that hinder us being able to bless your name. Father, forgive us for our our ferocious independence where we walk this life actually thinking that we're doing this all by ourselves, knowing that it is because of you that we have right now. Father, forgive us for thinking that we are more than what we are. Father, forgive us for refusing to praise your name. And Father, I ask that you would please part your Holy Spirit upon those whom Christ have died for, that we would recognize your presence, that we will experience the joy of our salvation right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would please draw near, that you would indeed open up our eyes and open up our ears and soften our hearts, that we would be ready to receive your word. Father, I ask that you would pour out power upon this pulpit right now in the name of Jesus, that your word would go forth with might, and that you would take my foolish thoughts and my foolish words and take them captive according to Christ. And use these words to make much of Jesus. Father, have mercy upon us today. Have mercy. Reveal yourself unto us. Father, for those who are in distress, for those who are dealing with sickness in the body, for those who are dealing with the various issues of life, Father, you already know. You already know. So, Father, we just lift the Savior up asking that you will speak to our hearts today. Father, please move in this place. We do love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Indeed, it is a privilege, a privilege and honor to be back before you. I'm so grateful for Brother McGee, who brought the word of God to the people of God last week. I'm grateful, that he, I'm grateful that he was up here showing off. I'm grateful that, that the Lord was using him mightily. I was getting texts and said, that boy singing. <laughs> Amen. That's what it's all about. Welcome to each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist where every first day of the week we gather to lift up Jesus to celebrate him. This is all about him. Not about us. We can get caught up in us, but may today be all about him. And happy Father's Day to each and every father who is in the house this day. I pray that the Lord will give you sustained strength, sustained energy to do the job that he has called you to, to to fully walk out that calling of of, of being a a leader in the home, to be a, a, a spiritual leader and a good father. 
We pray that the Lord would have mercy upon those who uh, were not privileged to grow up in a home that had a good father. But yet time and time again, as we look through the scriptures, we see that we do have a good father who art in heaven. Blessed be his name. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that even now that the Lord would do a, a work in the hearts of any wayward father, that they would be broken in their sin, that they would see that they have an amazing calling, that the Lord has gifted them the great opportunity to be present, and that Jesus would, would break their hearts, they would turn towards him, and in repentance they would come and be the fathers that God has called them to be. That is our prayer today as we enter into worship. And on that note, on this Father's Day, uh, my desire is I would like to point your attention to a mighty man of God whom we can learn an awful lot from. In Numbers, the 25th chapter, the people of Israel, have, they have settled in this portion of the land, and they are just about to head into the promised land. It is, this is their last encampment before they head into the promised land. And as they are there at this, this last encampment, God has been bringing them through day after day after day, year after year. He has been a good father to them. But even in, despite all of God's goodness, Israel always found a way to get themselves in trouble. And a pattern has been firmly established in the life of Israel where God would do an amazing blessing and, and, and give them a tremendous gift God would, he would open up the Red Sea. When they were hungry in the wilderness, he, he rained manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, they began to get water from a rock. They would walk through these, 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 these countries and these kingdoms, and even though the people may have uh, risen up against them, God would overcome their enemies time after time after time. God was showing up for the people of Israel, yet it seemed like when God was at his best, Israel was at his worst. And God would do a, 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 a tremendous miracle in the life of Israel, and they would find themselves complaining in the next verse. God rains down manna from, like manna from heaven. Like you wake up, and God has already provided. You, you wake up, and God already went grocery shopping for you. I mean, as easy as grocery shopping has gotten, I mean, you can even buy your groceries online and just pick them up. God, God, he rained down their groceries, and they would just wake up to food. And in their next breath, that wasn't good enough because they, instead of a manna, they wanted meat. They were going to the wilderness, and God delivered them from bondage. God delivered them from shackles. But yet, because God wasn't doing what they wanted God to do, they would complain and become bitter time and time again. God would do an amazing work, then the people would begin to complain. I don't know about you, but that sounds like us a whole lot of time. We praying, God, rescue me, get me out. God gets us out, and we go right back into the same old stuff that got us in trouble in the first place. God does something amazing. The people begin to complain. And then as the people complain, God begins to judge his people for their bitterness towards him. They begin to complain in the wilderness. He sends snakes. 
They begin to try to rise up against countries without his presence, and they get defeated. Time and time again, God chastens his people, helping them to understand that you are nothing apart from me. And it is only because of my grace and my mercy and because of my benevolence and my generosity and my presence that you have come this far. It was only because of my spirit that you were set free from bondage in the first place. And God chastises his children. He whoops, metaphorically speaking, Israel to remind them that they are sinning against him. And then at that point, We see in Exodus and in Numbers that Moses would stand in the gap for the people and he would go to God on behalf of the people and repent on behalf of the people. And then it would would start all over again. God would show up. He would begin to deliver them. He would begin to bless them. And then the people would begin to complain. And then God judges. It's this this cycle, this pattern. I I may be talking about your life. I don't know. But there's this pattern of life that, that seems to be going in the life of Israel. See, but here in the book of Numbers, this is one of the only accounts where someone other than Moses stood in the gap for the people and functioned as mediator before God on behalf of the people. Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Numbers, the 25th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. And if you would, please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Numbers, the 25th chapter, verses 1 through 15. This is the Word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of of you, kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. There was that church, y'all. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose And left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, 
because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just late, like to place a tag upon the text before us this morning. Phineas, a man zealous for his zealous God. A man zealous for his zealous God. You know, all this talk of jealousy. Have you ever been jealous about something before in your life? Maybe you were in school and you saw how uh, all the cool kids, you know, that cool crowd, how they received all the praises of the kids, all the uh, admiration of the teachers. And, and you began to think to yourself, oh, he ain't all that. She thinks she, she, thinks she got it all together. Maybe you felt like that, or, or maybe even on the job. One of your co-workers seemed to be doing an uh, excellent job, or, or it looks like they're doing an excellent job, but you know the real story. And everyone is heaping praise on, on your co-worker, and, and you begin to ha- have some type of bitterness in your heart, and, and you begin to roll your eyes every time your co-worker walks past, and you begin to, uh, you, know, you know how you smack your tongue like... And you begin to have this sense of resentment where you, you don't even want to talk to your coworker anymore. You know how that, jealous, that jealousy rises up in your life at times. Or maybe you've been scrolling through your, your Facebook feed or maybe you've been scrolling through your Instagram feed and you come to that one person. That, yeah, that one person who, who seems to have the perfect life. They got it all together. They have a perfectly decorated house. They have perfectly behaved children. They got a perfect car. They're on a perfect vacation, eating perfect food in the perfect outfit. And you say in your heart, I can't stand them. When we think about jealousy, that's what we think of. We think of that human emotion that rises up within us that causes us to behave a certain way towards people uh, and, and causes us to dislike individuals. And we don't want to be bothered with them anymore because of how, how they act. They, they think they, they think they all that. They sedity. That's what we tell ourselves to give us an excuse not to talk to them. We begin to have those feelings of resentment, but really those feelings of resentment, they come because, uh, because of their success or some perceived advantage that we think they have. So we become bitter because at its core, we want what they have. And we don't feel like we have it. Beloved, je- jealousy is a dangerous sin. And jealousy is so dangerous because it's, it's not quite like envy. See, envy says, I want what you have. I'm not necessarily mad at you, but I ain't happy for you. I I want to, this is the person, you you drive up in a new car and maybe maybe, uh, you receive some type of uh, financial blessing and and, and this is the person who is just mad because you got what you got. I wish I had a new car. I wish I had some money in the bank. I wish my numbers had a fail. Oh, my bad. Y'all don't play the numbers. Yeah. 
That's envy. See, but jealousy is dangerous because jealousy goes one step further. Jealousy says, I wish I had what you had, and because you got it, I don't like you. And I'm going to physically manifest my bitterness towards you in a certain way where I'm going to treat you mean, I'm going to, I'm going to be difficult, and I'm going, to, I'm going to display my resentment towards you. See, jealousy is, is that outward action of our hearts that takes place when, when people receive things that we wish we had. Jealousy is the type of emotion that always leads to some type of action, big or small. A jealous heart is an active heart. Look, look with me in James, the third chapter. James, the third chapter, the 14th through the 16th verse. James 3, beginning with verse 14. And James begins to talk about this, this, this dangerous emotion. And it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, see how he connects bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition? You're, you're jealous because you're selfish. You're jealous because you feel that you should have and they should. You, you, you want it. So he connects the jealous and, and, and selfish hearts. And he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual. Look here, and demonic. Jealousy is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be discord and every vile practice. James helps us to understand that jealousy is not one of those harmless emotions that you feel on the inside. But wherever jealousy and selfish ambition is running rampant, right behind it is chaos, discord, and fighting. This is why a lot of times you can be part of a group and all of a sudden, the, uh, someone in that group begins to compete with someone else in that group for, for power and, and, and for glory and, and to be in charge. And they begin to stack people on, on, on their team. You on that team and I'm on this team. And they begin to pit one another against themselves. This is what jealousy does. It, it pits us against one another. It makes us think that we're enemies when we're actually friends because of the blood of Christ. Worldly jealousy is always trouble. However, however, there's another form of jealousy which is actually good. This is biblical jealousy. This is when the text tells us that God is a jealous God. Biblical jealousy is when one is completely consumed by the glory of God and acts righteously to defeat sin and to draw men. So uh, uh, biblical jealousy causes an individual who loves God to act on his behalf, to, to, to carry out his commands, to carry out his orders, and in order to ultimately draw men, women, boys, and girls 
to God. See, jealousy is good when God is the object and salvation is the goal. See, jealousy is a good thing when you take yourself out of it and place Jesus at the center of it. Where it's not about selfish ambition anymore. It's about God, his glory, his majesty, his authority, and his rule. When it's all about him. Jealousy is good when we love the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. Jealousy is good when not only we hate sin, but we hate seeing others fall into sin and seeing the separation that sins brings. There is a good jealousy. And this is the jealousy we see working itself out in the text before us this morning. In this text, we see a divine jealousy, a jealousy that is intolerant of unfaithfulness. That's biblical jealousy. So when the text of Scripture says God is a jealous God, The reason why it's not sin for God to be jealous is because his jealousy is based upon someone's unfaithfulness toward him. The one who is worthy of all attention. He's worthy of all affection. He's the one who brought Israel out. He's the one who's been keeping Israel. He's been sustaining Israel. And and, and to, to go against God's goodness, he won't have it. So this is divine jealousy. But then we see this, this type of commitment to the Lord from Phineas. We see a convinced commitment and deep devotion leading to outright obedience. Because of Phineas' devotion to the Lord, he is more than willing to obey God. The Christian who is jealous for God will be motivated to move. When Christians commit themselves to the purposes and plans of God, things change in the world. To be a Christian who is jealous for God's glory, it means to be be a follower of Christ who is willing to do something for the Lord. A a, a Christian who is jealous for God's glory, who, who wants to see people come to know Jesus, who to experience the same forgiveness and deliverance that you have experienced, that, that person is an active person. Basically, beloved, what I'm saying is a, a Christian who is jealous for God's glory is not a spectator. They don't just show up so someone can entertain them on Sunday mornings. They don't just show up the, during a week at work and, and, and are Christian in name only, but none of their deeds reflect the glory of Christ. That th- this is the Christian who, who would say they follow Jesus, but at home they, they're living a double life. And, and they don't show this life on Sunday. To be jealous for God's glory means to be consumed with his purposes and his plans for your life. And not what we want to do in our own lives. But namely, your devotion to God should actually rescue others from the wrath of God. Your devotion to God should actually rescue others from the wrath of God. As Christians, we should be able to live in a way that when we see someone 
headed to hell, headed to an eternity separated from the goodness of God, we don't just sit there and say, oh, glad it ain't me. It's just them. But we are actually the type of people who are concerned with the eternal state of the souls of people we come in contact in our families and on our jobs and, and at our schools. We don't want to just be spectators watching people go to hell because they are being unfaithful to Christ Jesus. We don't want to be those people. You know how you're driving down the highway and there's this, there's this long backup and you like and you're trying to figure out where, where did all this traffic come from? And, and, and you looking, and all of a sudden, on the other side of the highway, not even on your side of the highway, on the other side of, a high, of the highway is an accident, and, and, and the slowdown is actually caused because people are slowing down to look at what happened. And, and, and you get past it, you're like, you mean I stood in traffic for, for 20 minutes so y'all can look at the accident over there? Beloved. Don't be spectators going through life just watching people wreck their lives because of sin. Wreck their lives because of their disobedience. Only to look and to keep on going. May we not be that type of people. Phineas was that, not that type of man. Christians ought to be zealous for our jealous God. Look here. In verses 1 through 5, we see that God is jealous for his people. God is jealous for his people. Verse 1, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Beel of, uh, of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The issue here is that Israel belongs to God. Way back in Genesis, God chose after the flood to raise up a, 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 a people who would belong to him, who would serve his purposes, and he raises up Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to uh, make sure that you go into the promised land, and I'm going to give you children. And he's making this promise to a man who at the time didn't have any children. And he says, I'm going to make your descendants like the, like the sands of, uh, uh, of the shore. And, I, and I'm going to use this people for a particular purpose to, to be a representation of, of my name before all of the nations. So God raises up Abraham, and then he, he has a son, Isaac. And, and God makes that same promise to Isaac. Isaac, I'm going to make you a people, and you're going to receive blessings, and you're going to receive a land, and you're going to be uh, a people who represent my name to all the nations who come around you. And he makes that same uh, promise to Jacob, who changes his name to Israel. So way back before today, in this text, God had already chosen Israel. And beloved, he did not choose Israel because they were so sweet. He did not choose Israel because they were the smartest kid in the class. He did not choose Israel because they were the right complexion. He did not choose Israel because they had money in the bank. He chose Israel because they were the weakest of the weak, the lowest of the low, and they didn't have anything going for them. But God steps in. Beloved, I don't know about you, but that, that's how God works with us sometimes. 
most of the time. He, he doesn't come and get us because we just debonair and handsome. He doesn't come in and rescue us because we the sharpest tool in the toolbox. He doesn't come and rescue us because of our pedigree and all of our degrees. He doesn't come and rescue us because of what your granddaddy did and what your grandma used to be and how your daddy used to function and how your, your mother used to be in the church all the time. He doesn't rescue us based upon what we bring to the table. He rescued us just because he can. Just because he wanted to. When we weren't a people, Peter tells us, what well, before God did anything for us, we, we were lost. We were astray. See I, see, I don't know about you. When I sing the song Amazing Grace, I, I actually believe the lyrics. Because I realize, yeah, I... I once was lost. I was in my dirt. I was in my misery. I was acting a fool. I wasn't thinking about it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was, see, was, it, it, it gives you a hint that I, I used to be over here, but God has brought me over here, and, and I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So in God choosing Israel, he goes to a people who really want all that, and he makes them a people, and in, in drawing them to himself, he says, Israel, you belong to me. You don't belong to anybody else. But yet the text shows us that Israel decides to step out on God and begin to, to, to pursue the gods of the Midianites and the Moabites. He says, the people began to, to whore with the daughters of Moab. What, the, the implications here are both physical and spiritual. What, what the text is telling us is not only did the men begin to practice sexual immorality with the, the women in the land, uh, uh, they, 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 they began to be led away by their physical desires, which caused them to yoke themselves, to, to join themselves with the, the Baal of Peor, the, the God of the Moabites. And, 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 what, and what the text is really saying is, the way that sin attacks us and the way that we find ourselves spiritually malnourished is usually because some physical sin has lured us away from our first love. Beloved, when we begin to behave and to partake and to move into things that lead us physically away from God, it will always lead us spiritually away from God. The Israelites, they come into the land and the men begin to talk about the Moabite girls. Have you seen the Moabite girls? Boy, they something different. And, and, and they begin to have these conversations and, and, and they understand that part of their temple worship is these sexual practices. That's just part of their culture. And they begin to be taken in. And they begin to fall into sin. God's people begin to act unfaithful to their covenant marriage to God. And it said, once, once, once the Moabites got their hook 
into Israel, once, once sin gets its hook into you, he says, these invited the people to sacrifice to their gods. Once you get a taste of the world and it begins to draw you and to hook you, you begin to worship the gods of this world. You begin to, to worship power. When you get a little taste of power, maybe you get a little promotion. You let it go to your head, and all of a sudden, you're just bossing everybody. They're not even your employee. You're telling them what to do. You get a little taste of power, and it becomes your God. You get a little taste of glory, and all of a sudden, uh, you got one like on, on Monday, so the rest of the week, you're, you're, you're working to get more likes. You want more glory. Or maybe your God is comfort. You, you don't want to be bothered. You don't want any chaos. You don't want any drama. And you're willing to do anything to get it. Whatever your God is, you begin to pursue it. And you will yoke yourself to that particular God, this, this form of idolatry. And it's interesting here, just a side note, this word yoked, is, it means to bind, to join, to be attached. But then it says specifically between two lovers. So here's the implication. Israel's sin had, had, had led them into an affair with another lover. No longer did they have soul love for God. No longer did they have a, a, a monogamous relationship with the God of heaven and creation. They chose to give their affections to someone else. The sin here is unfaithfulness to God. They're being unfaithful. They are falling into sin. So how does God respond to their sin? What the text tells us. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. God was mad. God God was saying, we are in a marriage together, you and me. And you decide to go outside of our our covenant, our marriage, to receive affections from someone else? You decide to look somewhere else to be satisfied? You decide to go to someone else to provide for you? And God becomes angry, as he rightly should, because Israel was his people. Israel was his bride. And in this this righteous anger, what is taking place? God, God is not just, just mad because his girlfriend broke up with him. Israel is God's bride. The church is God's bride. When we step out on God to, to seek our own pleasures, to satisfy ourselves, we, we are being unfaithful to God. We are committing uh, adultery to, to, to our husband, uh, King Jesus. But what, what, what is Israel really guilty of? Don't forget, God had gave them the law on Mount Sinai. What was the first commandment? You shall have no what? Other gods before me. And what's the second command? You should not worship any graven images. What is Israel? Israel breaking the first two commandments right here. They're worshiping these false gods which were represented by these statues. And, and they begin to give themselves over and they have become unfaithful. God, his his jealousy is over his covenant people. God is not out there just trying to be mad at folks. We are unfaithful. And what is the 
What is the result of their unfaithfulness? We pick up the text in verse 4. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. Death. Death. Their unfaithfulness deserves death. Beloved, ain't, ain't nothing changed with God either. He's immutable. He, does, he doesn't change. Our unfaithfulness deserves death. Whenever we look outside of God for our satisfaction, whenever we look to someone else to supply all of our needs, we are being unfaithful to God. But, but inter- this is interesting. Because God, he lays responsibility on the chiefs of the people. This is just a side note, especially it being Father's Day. There's a, there's a special responsibility being a dad. God has called men to be leaders of their home, and, and not just leaders physically where you, you, you tell everybody what to do in the house. God is calling his people to be leaders spiritually. He's saying, take all the chiefs. The chiefs were the family leaders. Each family would have a chief that their clan would be led. And it was the, the chief's responsibility to make sure that the family was worshiping properly, that they were doing what they were supposed to do. Evidently, uh, these chiefs themselves were, were off into sin, committing spiritual adultery. Beloved, as fathers, if we're committing spiritual adultery, we're... Where, where would our families go? If we're committing spirit, if, if we in love with our boats, if we in love with our sports, I'm sorry, if we in love with our man caves, if, if we in love with our fishing rods, if we in love with vacations, if we in love with everybody else but our family and their spiritual well-being, how do you think our family's going to respond? If there's no spiritual leader in a home, who's going to lead? This is why our communities like they are. The chiefs have left their post. Who are going to be the spiritual leaders in the home? It must be fathers. Beloved, ultimately, verses 1 through 5 can be summarized can be summarized as, this is a picture that unfaithfulness to God is sin. Unfaithfulness to God in any way is sin. But not only that, here's the key. Sin always has consequences. The text of Scripture reminds us whatever happens in the dark will surely come to light. You think you got away with that sin now? You may, you, you may have thought you got away with it now, but sin will always have consequences. And their sin of adultery, spiritual adultery, is having consequences where death has entered into their camp. Look, the consequences of sin is always death. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. God's wrath is coming for any and all unfaithful to him. But not only do we see that God is jealous for his people, we see that Phineas is jealous for his God. In verses 6 through 9, 
we see uh, this scene of, of the entire congregation. And they, the text says they're at the tent. The tent was the sanctuary. The tent was the place where they would go and meet God. They were going to church. They were going to worship. So while they're at the tent, Phineas, Phineas, he, he, he looks up and he sees one of the Israelite men bringing one of the, the, the women into the camp in order that he may have sexual intercourse with her. And, and the same sin that they're standing right now repenting of as a nation, this man is about to partake in. And in a righteous indignation, understand, under God's authority, he didn't just pick it up and go kill him. God said, kill anyone who has yoked themselves to the bale of Peor. And, and this, this, this event shows us that this man, has, he had yoked himself to the bale of Peor. So in his righteous indignation, Phineas picks up that spear and he goes in and he strikes them both down. Phineas, he is a, he's a Levite. He is a priest. He is the grandson of Aaron. He is one of the people who would have been leading in worship, leading in repentance, leading in seeking God's face. But Phineas, he, he, he they're repenting because of their sins outside the camp. But now Phineas recognizes when sin has come into the camp. As a spiritual leader of our homes, as spiritual leaders in the church, we must have a congregational awareness when sin comes into the camp. There will always, always be a temptation to turn a blind eye to sin. To act like we ain't even see it. But Phineas, he... Not only does he recognize the sin, but he moves to remove the sin from the camp. Because at that moment, Phineas did not choose to love what he loved most. In that moment, Phineas chose to love what God loved most. And that was obedience. When we see Phineas's his, his actions... This reveals that those who love Jesus act to restore faithfulness to God. Whatever it may be, if we genuinely love Jesus and we recognize sin in our hearts and in the hearts of others, we will be moved to do something about it. We will be moved to pray. We will be moved to have conversations. We will be moved to fast. But we can't just sit by idly doing nothing while sin ravages our brothers and sisters in Christ. His zeal comes from a deep love for God and his glory. Phineas wants Israel to be faithful to their husband. Phineas, he, he wants Israel to be a faithful bride. That's what moves him to action. Unfaithfulness towards God should move you into action. So what does God have to say about his actions? God says in verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned, my, my, turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. 
and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. God blesses Phineas. He blesses his obedience. In the midst of this situation, Phineas is actually acting as a mediator on behalf of Israel. I love the language that's, that's laid out in the text. Listen to the language. Phineas, he, he acted to turn back God's wrath. He, he acted in a way where he is now a recipient of God's covenant of peace. He, he makes atonement for the people to God. That, that is messianic language. Phineas is standing in the gap for the people in the midst of their sin. And beloved, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our circumstances, we need a messianic rescue. As we look around, there is sin and temptation outside the camp. As we look around, there is sin and temptation inside the camp. And as we look around, there is sin and temptation even inside of us. We, we need a mediator. We need a savior. But well, as we look at this text, we need someone who is going to deal with sin in our camp. We need someone who is going to turn back God's wrath on our behalf. We need to, someone else to offer us a covenant of peace. And we need someone to make atonement for our sins. And, and we don't look back to Phineas, but we look back to Calvary's cross because the text of Scripture reminds us that we don't need a Phineas, but we got someone named Jesus. Jesus is our greater redeemer. He is our greater savior. He is our greater mediator. It was Jesus, the one who turned back God's wrath, offering up himself as the propitiation for sin. He's the one that bore God's righteous wrath, as the text says, in his body on the cross, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. It was the one Jesus who has secured our covenant of peace. When, when, when Jesus is in the mix, when we speak peace, we don't just say, I want everything to be chill with you. We say, you are reconciled fully before God and man, that there is no issue and you can dwell with him. The one who has secured a covenant of peace for those who repent and turn to him by faith. We look to the greater Phineas, Jesus, the one who atoned for our sin on Calvary's cross and secured our salvation when God raised him from the grave on the third day and he rose with all power in his hand. Beloved, just like Israel, we find ourselves in a circle. God shows up, we complain, God disciplines, but through confession, we can be restored. But the only way we can confess is because we come in the name of Jesus, the one who has secured our salvation. Beloved, at the end of the day, has your devotion to Jesus led to some type of action?
Beloved, as, as you consider this text today, what sin is in your camp that needs to be dealt with today? Who will be your mediator to reconcile you to a holy and righteous God? Are you zealous for our jealous God? The only way to be made right is to turn from your sin, turn from yourself through repentance and faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone, believing that he is who he says he is, the Savior of the Word, through whom no one else there is salvation, believing that when you confess your sin and, and, and trust in him that you will be saved, and that through his power you are able to live forever. Through, through confession and repentance, Jesus will be your mediator and will reconcile you to a holy and to a righteous God. Are you zealous for our jealous God? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask that we will have a righteous indignation when it comes to not sin in everybody else's life, but that we will have a righteous indignation when it comes to sin in our own lives. Father, I ask that you will have mercy upon us by revealing, revealing to us just who you are and that we will turn from living for ourselves to live for you before it's eternally too late. Lord, help us to continue to exalt you and to lift you up. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Beloved, the doors of church are now open. If you are here today, there's never been a time in your life, there's never been a point where you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. There's never been a moment where you said, you know what, I've been living for myself and I need a Savior. There's never been a moment you can come today and we can show you from the Scriptures what must you do to be saved. Or maybe you're here today and, and you have not been zealous for our jealous God. And you just want to confess your sin and want someone to pray for you, we, we can do that. Uh, but then also, if, if you're just here today and the various of issues of life are, are just on your back and you want someone to pray with you or for you, no matter the situation, you can come and we will pray for you and with you. Or maybe you're here and the Lord is calling you to be a covenant member of Forest Baptist Church. Then you can come and join so whether you need us salvation or prayer or membership, you can come to the front as we all stand and sing our closing song. May we all stand. Find favor in your sight, Lord.